Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. Warning, the following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week we're talking about another John Carpenter movie because (laughs) apparently John Carpenter's just our favorite. Well, he's your favorite. One of them. They Live, from 1988, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David. And this film was requested to us by our good friend, Karima Rhodes. So thank you, Karima, for this request. We're super excited. Yeah, I was excited to do uh, this one because Roddy Piper's in it. Yes. I remember watching him when he was wrestling. See, I didn't. Yeah, wrestling's not my thing. But uh, this movie definitely made me a fan of him for sure. Yeah, I so I was a kid, right, uh, when I used to watch wrestling. I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It seemed more real then, I guess. I yeah. I think those guys used to really kick the shit out of each other right. a little bit. Like, it was still staged and all that. But Kind of like UFC in the way they used to really fight no holds barred, and now all they do is dance around in a circle for yeah, the entire match. Yeah, it's just for points. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate... Um, this movie is 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. It has a Metascore of 55, and it's 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty fucking good. That one's That's pretty good. It's, it's especially as far as horror films go, because we typically don't cover very highly rated films. But I was thinking about this earlier. Do you think this qualifies as a horror film? Because the more I marinate on it... feels sci-fi to me. I don't think it does. Yeah, it feels more sci-fi slash action than anything else because yeah Yeah. but you picked it yeah but i think people associate it with being a horror film one because of extraterrestrials and two because just john carpenter i think having his name attached to it is what makes people think it's a horror movie yeah yeah absolutely really it's it's a sci-fi movie because there's not any real blood in this film not really no there's not if anything it's more of a maybe psychological horror Maybe. Maybe. But definitely, uh, I would say. But that's a stretch. Sci fi, for sure. For sure, definitely. Because it just, what, rewatching it again, I was like, I can understand how this situation would be horrific if you were that person or these people. But at the end of the day, just in terms of film, not scary. Yeah, no, not really. So it was directed by John Carpenter. Written by Ray Nelson. He did the original short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning, and then John Carpenter did the screenplay. Mm -hmm. And something you'd brought up earlier was the music. John Carpenter and Alan Howarth did the music for this. Right. And well, I guess we'll get to that when we talk about the score, but uh, but yeah. But they've teamed up before. Yeah, yeah. They did, uh, uh, Alan Howarth did uh, Halloween stuff, so yeah. 
Travis, was this your first time to watch this? Like, really watch it? The first time to actually watch it, yeah. But I think I'd seen this. It wasn't completely unknown to me because I think it had been on TV before. Oh, okay. Which this would be a pretty easy one to adapt to te- television because there's not like a bunch of objectionable content in right. it. Right, yeah. Um, Because I knew about it, but I hadn't ever really, like, really watched it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I guess you could say this is a first watch. Okay. How about you? Um, I don't remember the first time I watched it, if I'm being very honest but i know it it's probably within the last five years or so maybe 10 but it's definitely a more recent watch of or other horror films it was also wasn't one that i grew up watching because it wasn't mm, it wasn't one of the titans i feel like growing up we mostly watched you know big three stuff right Right. Yeah. And the title's kind of misleading. They live. <laughs> you would expect a zombie movie. Maybe. But it's got nothing to do with zombies. Yeah. But we, I mean, we named a Patreon show after this or patron, whatever. <laughs> we named a show after this because it's that fucking good. Well, we named uh, named it after a Roddy Piper quote. <laughs> right. Because I, I think several episodes back in the series, I was saying that Halloween is not my favorite John Carpenter film. And I said that I would depending on what day you ask me I would either pick the thing or they live and that still holds true as much as I have come around on Halloween uh think Travis too um it's still regarded to me as one of his best films really I think that in terms of the films Carpenter has made I think this is his smartest film he's ever made I think this one has more to say than any other film he's ever made this film is very Romero-esque in that there's political commentary right Mm -hmm. Um, because that's one of the things George Romero did in was it Night of the Living Mm -hmm. Dead and then that's it's all over this film oh yeah Uh, Carpenter's commentary on basically the 80s and Reaganomics yeah so one of the when I've watched interviews with Carpenter he sounds like he has no love for that decade whatsoever even though I mean he put (laughs) out a lot of his most profitable decade (laughs) yeah I was saying even though he put out a lot of content in the 80s um, he has nothing good to say about the decade whatsoever. And it's just it, what boils down to is uh, his complete disenfranchise with what was going on at the time as far as excess um, yuppies, credit cards, just the AIDS epidemic, every everything, you name it, that was could go wrong was going wrong. Yeah. I don't remember that much about the 80s. Right. Because I was a kid. Yes. Um, born in 1980. So. We yeah, were. I just didn't give a shit. Yeah, and about I was, what was going on. I know that my parents thought that Reagan was the second coming. Uh, right. But yeah, I was born in '83, so I have even less memories of the '80s. I mean, I do have memories, but I feel like you and I were more '90s kids. Yeah. Than well, I mean, else. I remember the cartoons that I watched, but right, I, right, I same. couldn't tell you what was happening on the news because <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter to me. I, I remember seeing Reagan on TV. That's about it. I had no idea what the guy was talking about. <laughs> You know, um, the only thing I know about Reagan now is that Reaganomics sucked and he slapped women around. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, allegedly, allegedly. Let's <laughs> to quote Renee there. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> right. So, so in the disclaimer. Don't, don't want to get in trouble here. But um, yeah, I yeah. But everything that I know about the 80s, you know, people. People look at that decade with rose-colored glasses. I feel like you have things like Stranger Things that completely romanticize all the things that were great. And yes, there are so many things that were great. I mean, everything having to do with pop culture, um, 
the the music, the films, especially horror films, toys, cartoons. There were so many things that were great, but I think if you were the hair was not great. (laughs) But I think if you were an adult, a working middle class adult in the eighties, I don't think it was as wonderful. Um, we didn't have any money. When I was a kid? Neither did we. So I don't know if that was a direct result of Reaganomics or something else, but yeah. You had the people who were kind of well-to-do, your yuppies, right? Mm -hmm. And then you had everyone else. Right. So I think we were part of the everyone else. My, we were in a single income household. My grandfather raised us and he was a a cotton farmer. So yeah, we did not, we did not have much to speak of (laughs) during that decade. Yeah. So, since we can't talk about the 80s and Reaganomics and all this stuff, let's talk <laughs> about the cast. Okay. So, I've already named the fir- the two primary characters. We've got a couple others. Meg Foster is in this movie. Mm-hmm. She plays... Evil Lynn. No, I'm not <laughs> oh, wrong. Yeah, still kind of. Um, <laughs> Holly. Now, it's Holly Thompson. Mm-hmm. She's the only character in this movie that they give their first and last name. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know why that is. But, uh, yeah. So, she's in here. And George Buckflower, who plays a drifter like um, always he's always a bum he's always the homeless guy and <laughs> i don't know he was he's in another movie we've talked about him before he was in wishmaster right jason robards the third is in this okay jason robards sounds familiar yes. i don't know about the third one yes but he plays family man that's how he's credited that's pretty much it <laughs> family man <laughs> yeah. i don't even remember a character that that would qualify i don't toward. know but that's what it says That's basically it. There's several other people that are credited in this film, but they really don't have a lot of parts. Uh It's really centered around um, Piper and David. Right. Who play, well, Roddy Piper plays Nada Mm -hmm. and Keith David plays Frank. So really the whole thing centered around Nada and Frank. And the thing is, I have a a question about this. It has come out at some point that Nada's first name is John. He's known as John Nada. I don't know that he's ever named in this movie. He's not. That's the thing. If everything that you look at, he's just Nada. But at some point it came up as John. And I'm like, where did this happen? Did Carpenter decide? Did he know the whole time? Like, what's going on with that? Because otherwise his character never has a name. They don't even say Nada. He just is never referred to as by name at all. So in the credits, he's listed as Nada. Yeah. He's just the dude. Yeah. A dude. He's just a dude. He's not the dude because he's got zero chill. (laughs) But he's just a dude. Yeah. Pretty cool dude. So there was other cast in this film that... I, I didn't know about that are not credited. Apparently, Carpenter brought real homeless people mm-hmm. onto the production for several scenes and smaller characters and gave them food and paychecks. Which it's really cool. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Piper said he thought it was a pretty classy thing to do. I agree. And it was, Piper was almost not in the cast on this. Right. Because Vince McMahon, who was running the WWF at the time, did not want him to do the film. Um, He uh, wanted him to do something else. He was like, I'll get you a film later or some Mm -hmm. shit like that. Because those WWE or F films go so well. (laughs) Quality. Yes. Can you imagine the quality they would have been in the 80s? Um, So Piper quit. Yeah. I think that's (laughs) so damn cool. And I think that's pretty. I, I can't imagine what this film would be without him that's pretty awesome um but uh additionally we're talking about his name being nada that's actually from uh, a reference to the character in ray faraday's short story eight o'clock in the morning that it was based on so his name was george nada okay so i don't know where they got john yeah john's kind of that's somebody just pulled that out of their ass yeah i don't know i don't know (laughs) but anyway 
So, moving on to story. You can give us a um, plot synopsis here. I really don't want to give the one that's on IMDb. <laughs> I really don't. Sometimes those are good, and sometimes they're straight trash. Um, so, basically, you've got Nada, who is a drifter, and he comes into a town. And I don't think they ever say what city they're actually in. They, they don't. Um, but he comes in. He's looking for work. He finds work on a construction crew with Keith David, uh, and he stays, begins staying in this homeless camp. This homeless camp is uh, being funded or run by a church across the street, and he sees weird shit. He goes to check it out, finds these shades. The shades show him that, uh, which were they, Ray-Bans? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they were Ray-Bans. Just Wayfarers, play Wayfarers. Yeah. So you can, he can see that there are aliens basically walking around among them that look like humans. Yeah. And from there, he decides to investigate, and the adventure continues, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Kung Fu, the legend continues. <laughs> but he decides he needs to stop it. And so he teams up with Keith David after a, a battle. Yeah. And battle uh, for the ages. Right. And they go on to try to take it down. So, but one of the things that he can see as they're doing this is all the messages. Like the cover of every magazine, instead of saying Vanity Fair, it says obey. Every billboard, instead of saying Dos Equis, it says consume. Right. right. Or sleep or procreate or, right. you it's know. It's all the subliminal messaging, which that was a thing in the 80s. And I do remember that they were accused advertisers of using subliminal messaging to sell toys to kids and mm-hmm. and all that shit. I don't, I don't know about. I was going to say, I feel like this, this film, even though it is set in the 80s, there is 80s fashion and 80s objects. I still feel like this film is timeless because I feel like it's a film you could put out now and it would still be very fucking relevant, especially now. With, oh, absolutely. With everything going on financially in this country. Well, and and it wouldn't... So in the in the film it's all about television and uh written media and today it's social media right yeah it's you could almost update you see it on the internet yeah so yeah absolutely i agree it's still the the message i guess that he's trying to to put forth is still pretty relevant yeah so absolutely it's all those microtransactions on aiden's video games <laughs> but dad it's only 99 cents <laughs> That's what those charges are. Yeah. This DLC is only $10. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, shit. If you, you look at the things, the way things are right now, fucking eggs. When did you think we'd ever see a point in our life where people can't fucking afford to buy eggs? Like, oh my gosh. That's pretty crazy. It is. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. It really is. <laughs> so another thing, I guess, kind of back to the casting is that they had originally written this for Kurt Russell. Oh, uh, I, I, that's a tough one. I just got through saying I can't imagine this movie without Roddy Piper, but Kurt Russell would have been good too, especially if you're thinking in terms of his character in, in uh, the thing. Well, no, I was thinking of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, that that yeah, character is almost the same. Almost right. No, it's not the same. But well, except that Kurt Russell's a wise cracking ass right. in that. Well, that's movie. what I was thinking. In the thing, he was kind of surly. Yeah. And Piper's kind of surly. Yeah, but he still a, has a sense of humor. He's kind of a smart ass. He and, definitely is, and he's got this kind of wise ass grin on his face through most of the movie. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, so. I just. <sighs> Everything that he brought to that character, because let's let's be real, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt your feelings here for a minute. Okay, I've not necessarily been a big fan of wrestlers who turn actor. You watch your mouth. <laughs> I know who I you're said, talking about, your and I don't want to hear it. Okay, let me preface with, out of the ones that have come out, I don't feel like The Rock is that bad anymore. He wasn't great to start out with, but I feel like. 
Obviously, this is a profession that's important to him. So he has tried to hone his craft. He has so, done the work. Um, I feel like Batista's pretty good. He's a funny actually. motherfucker. Be- uh, the comedic timing on him, I-, I would never have expected it. Absolutely. And with this new film he's going to be in, this M. Night Shyamalan one. He looks legitimately like he's being serious. So, but let's just say the track record, like, uh, let's say Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Oh, well, that was in the 80s. And I'm going to be a huge bitch right now. I don't really dig John Cena's acting. You know what? (laughs) He's great as Peacemaker. I don't know about any of the rest of the shit he's been in, but he's great as Peacemaker. Yeah. His comedy timing is also really good. I'm just saying the track record for wrestlers not been that wonderful. But for this to be the first movie that Roddy Piper's in, you'd never know it. He's actually really good. He's really good in this movie. I was thoroughly impressed with him. I really was too, because he does, yes, he has funny moments, but he also has really serious moments. And he has these subtleties in what he says and does. I I just, I don't know. I mean, I know that wrestlers do have to go by a script and, and that way they're sort of acting too, putting on a show. But at the same time, he does things that I feel like in this movie, you can't teach people. And he just seemed like he had a natural ability. He's got a more nuanced performance than you would expect from a wrestler. Yes. I agree. I agree. He he did really well. I don't know what other movies he's been in. He's got a pretty extensive filmography, but a lot of those are like WrestleMania 47 and SummerSlam because they put him on DVD. So technically he has to get credited as an actor, right? If he was in yeah. it. Yeah. He he did good. I, I I don't have any complaints. I do remember a show on the last drive-in with Joe Bob that was called Hell Comes to Frogtown or something. But I don't know if that came before or after they live. And <laughs> Is he in that? Yes, and I didn't really watch it. I think I started to watch it, and then for whatever reason, I did not continue. <laughs> you didn't wait until Hell got to Frogtown? <laughs> Anyway, I don't know if it's it has anything to do with the script or John Carpenter's direction. Either way, I feel like he knocked it out of the park. He really did. He really did. And and, and Keith David, I mean, what more can you Keith say? Keith David's Keith David. He he just is. We we've talked about him before and that it doesn't matter what character he's playing. The guy just brings a certain gravitas. I knew you were going to use that word. To whatever he's I doing. Knew it. Sorry, but he you does. You use it with him and you use it with Tony Todd every time. He, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's, he commands the screen anytime he's on there. I don't know. Maybe this is because I'm such a huge fan of Spawn, the animated series. That was pretty good too. But he's always intimidating looking all the time. His voice commands a room. I, I don't know. I just, I said, even if you don't like the character he's playing, you're like, fuck, that's, that's Keith David. I, I don't care. <laughs> he could be like killing puppies and punching kids in the face. And I would still be like, that's Keith David. Yeah. <laughs> but all that. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. Um, I guess kind of to continue with acting, Meg Foster, she was kind of one note in this. She seemed very subdued. Uh, robotic. It, Almost. It, her performance was odd. It really this. was. Yeah. Like, I kept waiting for her to be a, a Stepford wife or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. She didn't really emote much. She really didn't. 
Yeah. Uh, she didn't have a ton of lines. And mm-hmm. she was, I guess, supposed to be sort of a love interest for Piper's character, but I didn't. It never went anywhere. Yeah. Um. But yeah, her acting was a little weird. Like, because we just watched Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I was going to say, she was almost the same in that. Not long ago. But you expected that sort of acting from Evil Inn. Right. You didn't expect that from... A TV exec, and right. it was it was odd. It was a strange performance. Yeah, Doug I Flower, agree. his was exactly <laughs> what you expect. I feel like he just plays himself, probably, in everything that he's in. Yeah, he just does him. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's not bad. Um, I feel like the performances from everyone else in the film they were serviceable. There wasn't yeah. anything just stood out as being. I did not hit her. I did not. Yeah, I mean, right. it wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, there were no Ohi marks in this, uh-huh. so they were fine. Yeah. But yeah, the, it's nothing against Keith David, but the one that really impressed me was Roddy Piper. And I think that's because his performance was so much better than you expect to get from a wrestler. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. But And God rest his soul, by the way. Rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird. Like when somebody shows up and you expect them to be good and they are good, then you don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect Keith David to be good and he was. So yeah. Okay. Right. He showed him, did his thing. Mm-hmm. But when somebody you're expecting Scorpion King. and you get something better than that you're like hey yeah good job yeah it's kind of a shame he didn't didn't get to be bigger than he was because i would say as an action star he did pretty fucking good too yeah he was a good action hero he he was and the dude was built for it he was fucking a yeah dude's built like a brick shit house boy was thick because we were yeah we were talking about it looking there there's a scene in the beginning where he's using a pickaxe on dirt or rock or whatever. He was shoveling. Whatever. And, and Keith David stops for a minute and has a look at him and no, then goes back to it. it. That's and, what he's doing. And Travis was like, God damn, he is so big. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, Keith David, he's a pretty big fucking guy too. And you're like, yeah, he is. But God damn, like, yeah. Roddy Piper's just thick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, and, and the thing is, that's how he just walked around all the time back then. Right. So, right. I mean, I guess it's one advantage maybe to casting a wrestler is that you don't have to worry about, are they going to get in shape for the, for the role? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, I'll just use Ryan Reynolds as an example. He walks around as a fit but thin guy, mm-hmm. apparently. But when he has to play a role, the dude's got to get bulked up. Hugh Jackman has to bulk up to play Wolverine. Mm-hmm. You cast one of those guys, no, not really. They just show up that way. Right. So, most times they can act with the shit but you know <laughs> um so special effects the special effects in this film reminded me of like the old black and white 50s movies like when he puts on the shades you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's i don't know like the the 50s black and white sci-fi movies that's what it made me think of it wasn't bad it's not bad it just no it's not i have more to more to piggyback off but of that with I, so i looked at it and i was like so who did this so you've got michael arbogast Ray Arbogast, David Bilston, Jim Danforth, and William Lee. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of any of those people. Me either. But I feel like it was well done. I guess that's where I'm going with that. I really do too. The, the black and white part when he puts the shades on, which I don't... You, you wear shades. I don't really wear shades. When you put your shades on, does everything go black and white? No. So why did his go black and white? I think it's just because they were special lenses. <sighs> anyway. 
was like, are you being serious right now? It just doesn't make sense for everything to suddenly be black and white. Uh, that's my guess is because they're special lenses. But there's not really a ton of effects in this film other than that. No, I will say that the alien makeup is so fucking good. Like, I, I, I don't I don't know. The way, like, when you see them in black and white, it's, it's one way. You're like, okay, cool. They look like flies or something. <laughs> kind of like the old school fly makeup a they little bit. Skeletal. Sort of. Um, but when you get to see them in color at the end of the film, it's amazing. Like, I think uh, I think my uh, friend Lala thinks she has a bust of one of those alien heads. And there, it's so fucking cool. The detail that went into that makeup, whether it was a mask or if that was just layers of latex over an actor's face. Either way, it, it's beautifully, beautifully done. And they're creepy it's yeah there's not a lot beyond that but like the uh the little flying saucers those are cool like it is pretty cool but again it's like attack of the 80 foot ants or whatever you know what i mean when you see those like you almost expect to see the wire yeah holding it because in those old movies you could you could see the wire holding the ufo that's flying over the city yeah you couldn't in this but i don't know it had that feel to it and i appreciated that yeah it's it's just strange what i was going to say about the black and white was i guess when you see it in black and white yes it does give that 50 sci-fi vibe But at the same time, it also feels futuristic to me somehow. And I don't know what it is about that, but it seems like it could be in the future. It seems like it's almost post-apocalyptic even a little bit with everything just being so black and white and uh, everything around it, there being no color and it just seems very devoid of any life. I don't I don't know. It's just... Yeah. It's so strange. I don't know. There there still feels something very Jetsons about it almost <laughs> with all the flying saucers and shit. I don't know. It's just really cool how I felt like they could do both, like make it feel like it's in the past, but also in the future. So yeah. really cool. I don't okay. know. <laughs> okay. So we talked about the score briefly. I, I did not expect John Carpenter to have his name on this. I music. didn't either. Um, we When we were talking about the thing and you just had that bum, 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 and it sounded kind of synthy almost we were like wow i'm really surprised john carpenter didn't do this one because it sounds like him this is the exact opposite this sounds like someone else did it yeah and it i I think that's it is that it seems like and maybe it's just halloween maybe i'm just attached to halloween but it feels like when john carpenter does the score you can listen to it and go yeah i bet he did that Uh uh-huh right he's got his own uh sound right Mm -hmm. this was not it this is not what I expected. No. Um, it's very bluesy, you know? It yeah. feels like, I don't know, there's like a lot of harmonicas and shit. It, it, in when you're thinking about Nada's station in life and this kind of music playing, it makes sense for the character to have this kind of score behind him. And it's not that that's the only score that's in there. There there does come up some of the synth stuff later, but this is our primary theme throughout the film. Well, I mean, in the opening of the movie when you see Nada walking right in the trains and all that stuff. Yeah. It's just very I got the blues. Right. You know, and I just would not have expected that from Carpenter, and it's it was very welcome. I thought it was cool that he tried to or did spread his wings and try something a little bit different. Because, like I said, with the character of Nada and what he's going through, it made perfect sense. So it puts you in that frame of mind, I guess. It, 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 it sets the mood. It sets the tone for the movie. Right. 
So we're getting close to the end. Are we? We are. <laughs> what did you love or hate about this film? We can't be that far in the end. We actually are. I'm looking at the list. You made We haven't talked list. about the story. We did talk about the story. No, the you synopsis. gave a plot synopsis, but we didn't talk about the story. Well, then you need to talk about the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, I know you got to go to bed full, but you're the just like rushing was this thing the story. along. What are you talking about? <laughs> How did you feel about the story? <laughs> okay. So... I like I like the story just fine. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more background on Nada. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. His name means nothing, right? He's the the man with no name. Mm-hmm. That's a western. John Carpenter liked westerns. Yes, he did. You told me that. Yes. That yeah. Um, but at one point, he's when he's talking to Frank, he's talking to Keith David, and he says something about the banks going under. Uh, that was actually at the unemployment office. Yeah, wherever it was he was from. Denver. But it never explains how he was attached to those. Was he a banker? Was he a yuppie? Mm-hmm. But he has his own tools. Yuppie wouldn't have their own tools. Right. Um, he had working man hands. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. It's not necessary. Having that information wouldn't make the story better. Just for me personally, I'd like to know a little bit more about his background. Where did he come from? Um Frank, when he and uh, Nada are talking, you find out that he, I guess he was a steel mill worker and it got shut down. And so he's been away from home for six months. Yeah. He's left a wife and kids behind. Yeah. He's trying to, trying to make some money. Um, And that's, you know, I think it's good that they gave him a story. I just wish they would have given Nada something else, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Give me, give me a little bit more there. Um, Let's see. There's something familiar about the rest of this story, and I can't quite put my finger on it. You know what I mean? I, there's something that feels similar. Like I'm, I feel like there's something else out there, and I want to say Videodrome, but not. Huh. Like where you've got a TV program. Maybe I'm thinking Doctor Who. There's an episode of Doctor Who where you've got a TV station that's kind of controlling everybody's lives and shit. But there's this this story feels similar to something else that I've seen, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Now that you've brought it up, this does feel a little Cronenberg-esque. A Just little a little bit. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah. What were you... You had a look when I said it feels like something else. What were you thinking? Oh, I thought, I thought you were trying to say that you related to it. And I was going to say, yeah. Yes, yeah, and I absolutely know why, because I feel like I relate to Nada a little bit too. He's an easy pro- protagonist to get behind. And we're He's the underdog. We're not the only ones who have been been dealt a shit hand in the last couple of years. There's a lot of us out there who lost their jobs because of COVID or because inflation has gotten so high people are having a harder and harder time surviving now. Um we were it was at the beginning of the movie, like like I said, when Nada walks into the unemployment office and He's basically trying to sit there and, you know, be polite and personable and trying to explain to the lady his situation, you know, and she, I don't know that she looked at him one time, didn't look him in the eyes. Um, she was just looking at a sheet of paper and whenever she told him he, there was no work for him, she still didn't acknowledge him, didn't look at him to tell him there was no work. Well, and we both kind of went through that. Yeah. And one of the things where I said, okay, this guy's doing a terrific job is you could see his heart sink without him saying anything at all. The disappointment. Yes. Um, and I looked at Travis and I was like, God damn, we've been there. Yeah. Like, because something that, that Travis went through at one point was he's overqualified <laughs> for a lot of stuff now. Um, and it's tough to go into somewhere and find out either you're underqualified or you're overqualified. So I have a lot of experience in a very specific field. 
And when I was looking for something else, I ran into that a lot. You know, you'd be talking to them and they would be looking, looking at my resume and they, and I had a couple of them even tell me, I don't think we can afford you. Motherfucker, we haven't even talked about that yet. Right. Like you immediately, you looked at my resume and immediately went to the money. Like, let's talk about the job first. How about that? Right. Um, and they'd be like, oh, I just don't think we can do it. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Well, times are... Or it was like, well, you got to have this specific thing that I didn't have. Right. And it's like, well, shit. Times are so much different now than they used to be. We're back in the times where we were kids. I would say probably the majority of people didn't go to college. You well, know? And I mean, when we were kids, someone could get a, a job making a living wage. We'll say that. A living wage without even graduating high school. Right. But... You can't do anything now. Jobs were trades. Right. The, the way I, I mean, I'm sorry to get on a soapbox for a minute, but I still feel like it should be that way. I don't feel like you should have to go to college for X amount of years in order to make a living wage. And sadly, that just seems to be the way the world is now, um, which is why we are placing importance of education on our own children, because um, I went to a trade school and ultimately decided that I didn't like doing what I was doing and was a stay-at-home mom after. And Travis just went to, he worked and worked and worked in the one field till he kept moving his way up, moving his way up till he was at the tippy top, just about. And we didn't go to college. We just worked, you know, you just went to school or graduated high school and went from one job to the next. And like I said, you know, got Delta shit hand. And so we've been there going, fuck, what, what am I going to do now? You know, <laughs> start a podcast. But <laughs> besides the point, um, now, fortunately, our, our situation has changed and we're, we're both, you know, we're, we're not swimming, we're doggy paddling, but we're still, <laughs> we're doing, we're doing pretty good, much better. But I think that is what makes the character so relatable is that everybody knows what it's like to fall on hard times and everybody wants to see the underdog succeed, you know, and luckily for Nada, he is able to, he does seem to have a trade in construction and he is able to walk to the next place and say, look, man, I've got my own tools. And I, I was confused, though, because the guy told him, well, this is a union job. And he looked disappointed again. So I was like, I thought being in a union was a good thing. So. Yeah, but he was not a member of that union. Yeah. Which meant that he couldn't work there. Oh, but and he got a job he, anyway. And that's why he asked to speak to the union steward. I, right, 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 right. That's right. And and then, yeah, Keith David, he's in, in another familiar situation where he's like, I've got to be able to take care of my family. And, you know, I've come all this way. We have people like that now that commute from one place to the other and sometimes you're driving an hour sometimes you're driving two hours in order to be able to have a job you know we have a lot of that here living nearby to uh dallas fort worth where people have to drive an hour to work every day or more in order to work because you know <laughs> i would say that there's not a good living wage for the majority of people now you know the inflation in gas, people are people are really struggling right now, and it sucks. That's why I said I feel like this movie's still relevant today. Yeah, yeah. The only thing about this movie that I didn't, I maybe I just I'm not smart enough to grasp it, was that the aliens basically were offering, if you'll accept us, right, mm -hmm. then we'll just give you all the money you want. And so I know John Carpenter's saying something about, well, if you'll just sell out, right, right, then you'll be okay. I just don't know what it is that he's thinking people could sell out to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he clearly was not a fan of the yuppie lifestyle. Right. 
right. in the 80s. Um, but I just don't, I don't know what that message was. Maybe it's because I'm a kid and I didn't, or I was a kid and didn't live through it. Maybe mm-hmm. it would make more sense then. But, you know, there, Nada has a conversation with uh, Buck Flowers' character at the end. And he's like, oh yeah, all you gotta do is sign up and you'll get all this money because he was homeless. I he, think Flowers, you do. Flowers' mm-hmm. thing at the end, he was he was homeless. He was living in the same camp. And I guess he said, okay, yeah, I'm good with you guys being aliens or whatever. So like, great, here's some money and a tuxedo and some champagne. I I think you do know what he means though but selling out playing ball i i guess but you know i mean in not a situation if he didn't have the education or didn't have the whatever he could he there was no like real world outside the movie that's wasn't an option so you know what i mean i don't mm-hmm. know i understand it in the movie i don't understand how he was trying to relate that to real life because clearly there was a message there, but I'm just not smart enough to get it. Because in real life, you couldn't just sell out and become a yuppie with all the money. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. So I'm wondering where he was going with that. What What was that message? Well, I don't know about that one specifically, but I do know or think I know. I'm only grasping at straws here. The other underlying message, which is one that's very similar in the film Society, which you still have not watched. I guess we need to cover that one at some point. And that's a almost a direct quote from one of the characters where one of the guys said, the rich have been feeding off of the poor for however long, whatever he said. And I feel like that's another common theme here, too, because at one point they are saying that they're using the humans like cattle. Yeah. And when he he and uh, Frank end up at that meeting or whatever at the end mm-hmm. it was their year-end meeting mm-hmm. and he was talking about how your wages have gone up 39 percent, and it's just it's all it is it's a bunch of rich people in there um i mean i i guess i get it i understand that yeah i feel like a lot of times and this is probably people are gonna be like oh well he's bitter or whatever i feel like a lot of times people at the top forget that the people at the bottom make them being at the top possible yes you know what i mean yes because I've been in that kind of top-end leadership role before, and you can't ever forget the people who are working are the reason you can have that job in the first place. Right. Without them, you don't get to be in charge of anything. Right. You're in charge of Jack and shit, and Jack left town. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I feel like they forget that a lot. This is this is something I've brought up in my own career. So even though I feel like what I do is really cool and I enjoy doing it, it's a it's a fun job. There's still a caste system in a hospital. And I feel like the phlebotomists are kind of low men in the totem pole, right? You get nurses who think that we are not as important because we didn't go to nursing school for X amount of years. Um, And then you get doctors above that who think even less of us. In most cases, I'm not going to say every doctor does that. I've, I've met a couple of great doctors where I work. Um, but you do get that attitude from a lot of staff, um, that anything below a nurse, you're just not as important. And I think it really sucks because I'm going, look, we're the guys who are out on the front lines here. If we don't get your blood from you, guess what happens? You don't get to make a diagnosis. You don't get to treat a patient. Without us going and getting that blood for you, you've got nothing. So anybody that I that is hearing this out there that may be a nurse or a doctor, be kind to the lab. <laughs> because without us, you have nothing. <laughs> well, my thought was every now and then we get uh, the top floor people that'll come down and wander through. Oh, don't get me started on HR. (laughs) (laughs) And they wandered through there with their coffee cup and 
whatever. And it's like, you know, if I didn't go do the thing that I'm about to go do, you would not be able to do what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't get to wander through here with your coffee cup, looking down your nose at everyone because you wouldn't have a job. Right. Your job doesn't exist without the thing that I do. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we're going we're to we're gonna sound really bitter. <laughs> not trying to. But I, I agree that I think that probably is part of a message here. And I think the larger one really is consumerism. Uh, I know we haven't really talked about that a lot. But a lot mm -hmm. of the messaging that shows up when Nada puts the shades on is consume and obey. And, you know, just follow the rules and buy shit. Right. And that, again, still very relevant now. Right. So. I mean... It, it, I feel like it's a double-edged sword, right? Because without us going and consuming, we have no economy, essentially. It, it depends on us going out and spending money. But the flip side of that is pricing things to the point where people can't afford them. People are doing other things so they don't spend as much money, you know. But there's still a staggering amount of people out there that buy shit they don't need all the time, you know. Um, and I, I'm guilty of this, being like, well, I worked my ass off all week. I should be able to go get this thing that makes me happy and, you know, I deserve it. I, I didn't sleep but three hours this week and, you know, I didn't eat anything. And if I want to go get me some deep fried goodness, well, by God, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it, like I said, it's a double-edged sword there. But there's one scene where uh, not as, uh, well, a couple of scenes. There's one where he's kind of walking by, I guess, a pawn shop or something where there's a lot of TV displays in the window or TV store, whatever you call it, um, where a, another man is standing and watching TV and it's showing all these clips of, uh, I, I'm sorry, don't make face of me, white people living their best life, <laughs> you know? There's like families playing and they're doing the slow-mo. We're so happy. Look how happy and wealthy we are. And um, then there's another scene of him sitting in an alley watching a TV from somebody's apartment window of an actress, I guess. And she's giving a spiel about how being an actress makes her important. It makes her immortal. And basically talking about that being the American dream of being famous. So I feel like it's kind of covering all angles there of what the American dream is supposed to be, what society is telling us it's supposed to be. Yeah, this is John Carpenter's hate mail to 80s society. Yes, which is very much like today's society. And it hasn't changed a lot. You know, we have we have uh, influencers now. And the thing about social media is you have and again, perfectly guilty of this myself, where you have a lot of people that are like, don't I have the best house? Don't I have the best kids? Don't I have the best marriage? Don't I have the best job, the best clothes, the best food, the best vacations? That's all you get when you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram is look how great my life is. And I would say probably seven to eight times out of 10, it's not always the case. People can tell you, they, they can paint their own narrative online, but we as a society see these things being projected toward us. And so in our mind, that's, we're telling ourselves, these are the things I need to have. This is the stuff I need to strive for. Therefore, I have to eat this food. I have to buy these clothes. I have to live in this house. I have to have all these things. So it hasn't improved with time we sold barbie dolls to little girls so that they could grow up thinking this is what i'm supposed to look like right it's the same thing yeah so i i really think that he 
I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not speaking for the short story that came before, but I think in terms of, of what Carpenter was trying to convey, I really feel like he was ahead of his time, honestly. Yeah. Well, and Carpenter's, his attitude personally, because he and uh, I guess Piper had talked about this a little bit, that both of them are kind of like, you know, if you ask me to give me the shirt off your back or off my back, I'll give it to you mm-hmm. every time. If you tell me to, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> They're both very much like anti-authority. That's pretty much how I operate. And uh, and I think that that comes through a lot. Carpenter's attitude in this. So I yeah I I'm <laughs> going back to work for a minute. I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like if somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, we're pretty slammed. Would you mind helping out?" Um, drawing our blood force. Sure. If you'll let me finish up what I'm doing, I'll be happy to help you get caught up or whatever. But the second you come up to me and say, this is what's going on. You need, you have to come help us now, or you need to come help us. I'm going to go fuck you. See if I come help. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Fire me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I do that too. Though. I'm, if the first I'm not words that out person. of your mouth are you need to, I promise you are not going to get any of the words uh-uh. that come after that. No, not no, but hell no. You can ask me nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we deviated <laughs> a lot. So can we talk about my favorite thing in this Let's movie? Let's talk about your favorite thing. Let's talk about the fight of the century. Okay. <laughs> so fun fact about that is that all, apparently uh, Keith, David, and Piper, they during rehearsals decided they want to do this kind of for real. Mm-hmm. So everything in that fight, except for the shots to the face and the groin are real. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they wanted to just kind of go fight it out. So that's pretty cool. And it makes me really wonder, like after uh, Piper bangs Keith David's head on the ground and you can see like that skint spot on the back of his bald head. Like, is that real? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. And I will tell you one continuity error I've noticed with this or plot hole, whatever you want to call it. Um, First off, this is probably the best fight I've ever seen in a movie. Um, Carpenter said that he modeled this after old Westerns where you would have... Your hero and your antagonist just duking it out. You know, everybody lays down their guns and they just go mano a mano, fist to fist. And those fights would be so real and so real, uh, brutal and they would go on forever. Just a good old slobber knocker. And I can't help but think of Clint Eastwood in this instance. I feel like he did that a lot. I don't think anybody stood up that long against Clint Eastwood. Um, I believe he said John Wayne would do that. But Clint Eastwood came to my mind first. Um, God damn it. I wish I could remember which film it was. If it's any which way you can or any which way but loose. It's one of those where he takes on a biker gang. It's like, I can't remember what they're called. Black Widows or something. And he has this knockdown drag out with the leader of this motorcycle gang. He just takes his shirt off. They fight. In the, or not the leader of the motorcycle gang. Some other guy. But anyway, shirts come off and they're just fighting on the in the lawn somewhere until, you know, both of them are burger. And he's right. They don't really make fights in movies like that anymore or you just really duke it out that way. And I loved this one because every time you thought it was going to stop, it was like, no, somebody's got to get up and throw a punch. Somebody's going to help somebody off the ground. No, he's going to use that opportunity to punch him. You know, um, one of my favorite fucking parts is uh, Nada takes this board and he's going to swing at Frank with it and instead knocks out the back glass of, I'm guessing, his car, even though 
Frank you, walks you, everywhere. Yeah, you never see him drive. Yeah. But when he breaks the window, Frank's like, you son of a bitch. And he looks at him. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he has this liquor bottle in his hand and he goes to, to break the end off, you know, like he's going to shank him with the bottle uh, and it breaks off at the, the neck instead. <laughs> I'm sorry, but not it just breaks and he has this little giggle and it just cracks me up every time and then he comes back and swings up like, ah, you know, or he knees him in the balls like five times in a row and I'm like, how does he have anything left? How, how is it not popped? (laughs) I don't know. And... The thing that that just cracks me up is that, yeah, after the fight is all said and done, they're bruised, they're bleeding, they're swollen and battered. And then the very, like, a couple of scenes later after they get checked into their hotel, they're fine. They're perfectly fine. Nada goes and washes up at the sink or whatever. The clothes that they're wearing are the same clothes, but they're perfectly clean somehow. And there's no swelling. There's no blood. There's no bruises. No split lips. I cannot see the skint spot in the back of Frank's head like you were saying. Yeah. They're perfectly fine. (laughs) Nothing wrong with them at all. (laughs) Like they have magic Wolverine healing ability. (laughs) Well, I mean, even like you said, the clothes and I'm... I don't know. The hotel that they checked into, did they have laundry facilities? Yeah. Did they have like a Tide stain stick did or something? Did they wash them in the sink because and hang them over the shower rod? Piper's jeans were fucking filthy by the time they got done with that fight. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It was a pretty good fight, though. <laughs> it was a good fight. It was a funny fight. It was. So, I guess we now we can now, move on. Now we can move on. Loved and hated. Ah. <sighs> Loved and hated. As far as loved, I I just love the character of Nada. I think I'm not alone in this. Anytime somebody thinks of They Live or the character of Nada or Roddy Piper in general, everybody thinks of the immortal line, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. Like I said, we named a fucking show after it. And that was a Piper original. Yes, it was. Like that was one of the lines that he had written down in a notebook uh, Uh for like a stage entrance or whatever wrestling. Yeah. And he showed it to Carpenter and they they were like... That one. That's the one you got to use. Yeah. It's just, like like we've said already, he just completely embodies that character. And his wrestling persona, from what I know, is kind of a jackass a little bit, kind of an antagonist a little bit. But you never know it. He he's not larger than life necessarily as the character. He's very even though he does wisecrack a little bit, you know, formaldehyde face, your head looks like it fell in the cheese dip in fifty eight, um, which are great lines also. He was never over the top in any way. And I really appreciated that about him. Um, there's a scene where he's talking about how his dad abused him as a kid and he got very serious there for a minute and he's just, he's the perfect actor to have portrayed that character. So yes, I love the character of Nada. Um, Frank, uh, Keith David is always great. Um, I think I, I love how it's written. I love how intelligent this movie is for being what it is. And it's basically a throwback to 50 sci-fi, sci-fi films, but with a modern touch. And I, I love that about it. Um, as far as hated, I will say I'm not a huge fan of the way that it ended. I mean, it's funny in the sense that when everybody can 
start seeing the aliens or freaking out. And then there's a one couple smashing and then the guy looks up like, hey, baby, what's the problem? You know, and she's just sitting there tits up like looking at him like, what the fuck? So that's funny. But what sucked about it is I don't like the fact that the character of Nada died, I guess. I would have liked to have seen the underdog win. And I guess in a sense he did. But we don't know, is this a thing that's happening all over the world? Is it just happening in this one city? We don't know the specifics of that. So did this get covered up? You know, do people just call it a hoax or mass hysteria we don't I, I i wish that i had gotten some more closure than what we got that that would be the only complaint i would have how about you mm, loved about the movie um <clears throat> that's tough i don't know that i would have an emotion as strong as love for anything in this movie but it would be i've come here to put you bubble gum and kick ass <laughs> Like that's man, a few words. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, I've come here to chew ass and kick bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Hated? Nah, nothing. I'm with you in that I feel like uh, Nada should have gotten a better ending. Give him something a little bit more heroic, which I guess dying for the cause was plenty heroic. But I don't know. You kind of want to, yeah, you want to see him win. Mm -hmm. You know, see him get something, even if it's just like a regular job and a house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like have him get something out of it. Uh, or if he had to die. If he had to let Frank live and get back home to his family, something, yeah. something where somebody gets a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. All because both of the the main people really that we're with through the whole film, they're both dead at the end. Right. So there's not nobody gets a happy ending here. Mm -hmm. I mean, these two guys that no one knew, that no one cared about, sacrificed themselves to save the world from aliens. Yeah. And nobody's going to know about it. Right. So, yeah, just feel like should have got something. Yeah, a little bit. A t-shirt, coffee cup, <laughs> something. <laughs> I saved the world from aliens. All I got was this lousy t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are your final thoughts? I think if you haven't seen this film, you absolutely should. If you're a Carpenter fan, definitely. Which if you're a Carpenter fan, odds are you, you have seen it. But if you haven't, I would say you definitely should. Like I was saying, I feel like this film is timeless. I feel like you can put it on anytime and relate to something going on. You know, it's 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 an important film. I feel like it's an intelligent film. It's funny. It, there's action. I, I really feel like it's such a well-rounded film, honestly. Yeah. You? I agree. That's all I have to say about <laughs> oh that. Oh, my God. No, I, I, I do. If, uh, if it's not a film that you've seen it's definitely worth a watch um there is a lot to say there there's a lot of message in there you should i don't know i don't know what to say or if you're a fan of the old 50s sci-fi it, it feels yeah. like a like a neat throwback i really don't bit. know what to say about it i would highly recommend this movie to anyone to go watch it um but yeah put your thinking hat on because I, I really feel like this movie has more to say than what we got from it oh i got it you just didn't get I it i just apparently. didn't get it <laughs> i didn't get it okay it's just me all right so mary fucker mary fuck or kill they live all right so mary is this like we could sleep in different rooms or <laughs> like do i have to see it every day oh, i'd fuck gosh. with it i think i haven't found one yet that i think i'd marry okay but yeah. i'm gonna marry it this is a unicorn film to me yeah absolutely yes it, it it's on my unicorn list of perfect films okay it really is even though i said i'm not a huge fan of the ending it's still to me a perfect film which is why i say 
if you ask me what my favorite John Carpenter film is, it's either this or the thing, depending on what day but you ask. But not Halloween. Oh, it's up there. It's just... But it didn't even... It didn't make the top I two. I feel like this one has more to say and is more fun than Halloween, I guess. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because while Halloween is one of the most perfect horror films ever and is legitimately still terrifying, I just feel like they live as is so much more than that i guess okay anyway with that being said travis what are we doing next week surf ninjas no we're not (laughs) so there was some ideas thrown around about the films that we covered last february because we have talked about uh, primarily we've kind of gone with the months since the show has started and we would kind of like to veer away from that a little bit and kind of hop around to things that we would like to cover sequels on or films we haven't tackled before and so I, d- I don't I don't know we have some ideas of things that we are wanting to cover in the future but we have also had things that we have wanted to cover and never got around to so I'm I'm going to make Make the formal request live now to my husband. Do you care if, since we covered it last February, if I can cover Hellbound Hellraiser 2? You know... I have not... We have covered all of Friday the 13th. We have covered all of Halloween. It is not fair for you to do that to me right now. (laughs) I was all set up to do something cool like Toxic Avenger, Reanimator. Oh my God, he's going to throw me under the bus like that. I am going to throw you under the bus. (laughs) I'm going to drive that bus and honk the horn. You know, we can do like we do on the Patreon shows and we can take turns. This was a request, so technically I didn't pick it. The one before was a request. I didn't pick that one either. Oh, so I guess. I guess. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we'll do another Hellraiser movie. I was saying, we've, we've covered all the, like, almost every sequel of a franchise, except for my favorite fucking franchise of all time. That's not on me. I didn't choose that. <laughs> you kind of did. I kind of did. You kind of did. You were all like, hey, we should do every Friday the 13th for the summer. <laughs> you agreed to this. <laughs> so... Guys, we'll see you next week with Hellbound Hellraiser 2. But until then, take care, guys. Bye. What would you do to save the life of a teenage boy? If you subscribe to our Patreon for just 3 to $10 a month, you can get Aiden out of the industrial-sized hamster wheel we use to power our show. For that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth a shit with them on anyway. Also be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration.